Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Friday mailbag dish. What? Yeah, yeah, it's Friday. Yeah, I'm still away. And yes, we are bringing you a bonus surprise special, very special, Mailbag edition on a Friday. We've got some great questions from our listeners, and we are not going to waste those. We are going to ask and answer them. I'm going to make him answer them, actually, because that's it. it's easy when I ask the questions. I get to ask him the hard ones. <laughs> he, of course, is Andrew Page Esquire. Mr. Page, how are you, sir? Yeah, really good. Really good. Really, went, really. On, it's Sunday. What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, threw me there. Um, but it's great that we got so many questions and some really good ones, too. So, oh, such good questions. Give the people what they want. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's do that. All right. Let's, well, let's, let's, should we go straight into it then? Yeah. All let's right. Dive in. Here's one from Peter, who actually, oh, well, you say good questions. I think you said good questions because you knew the first one was going to be about property. I'm not sure. Um, I didn't. <laughs> go on. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm, I'm now regretting our choice of a special Friday mailbag. Is it too late to change? Nah, <laughs> come on, don't Stuck. tease me. Bring, right, hit no. me with it. You don't, you don't get too much of a chance to rant, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it anyway. Peter says, don't stop me. Morning, guys. I'm just wondering why everyone seems to quote real estate auction results. Why don't they mention private treaty sales, which I believe are at least triple the level of sales of auctions? And it's kind of a question that is, on one hand, a very, well, it's a one-line answer, but it's also... What I liked about this one, mate, is it kind of talks to some of the psychology behind what we do. So before I go into my answer and cover that stuff, I'm going to ask you, why do we care about auction sales, mate? I don't have a good answer, actually. I wasn't, <laughs> I was not aware. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I was not aware of uh, there was such a stark contrast yeah. between private treaty and, and auctions. So yeah. that's that's surprising. I mm-hmm. uh, like, just uh, anecdotally had assumed that, that auctions, most people sold um, through auctions mm. was my way working hypothesis. I don't now that I'm saying that out aloud. I don't know if I've got any really good data to, to sort of base that on. And that's why I love Peter's question because it it, is, it gives you, it just it creates that impression, right? They're talking about it, so it must matter. That, yeah. That's almost almost the starting point. Yeah. Well, is well, what's the answer? Is the answer that they one one amount of data is more just readily collated and distributed, or something like that? Or yeah, I, I don't know for sure either. I have to say, uh, but I I have a very strong suspicion that's exactly what it. So there's, he, there's, I'll go, I'll go. There's, I'll pick out two sides of my mouth at the same time here. There is none of this data is absolute anyway, right? The sheer number of sales. You said this before. The number of trades on the Australian property market in a given weekend. Mm. Uh, I, I've tiny 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 same with shares by the way when, when, yeah. B, when we say how did bhp shares go today we really say what did the few people who bought and the few people who sold agree to pay rather mm-hmm. than what does everybody who owns bhp shares think this company is worth it's just literally yeah. the trades on the day that matter and so auction results it is the trades on the day that matter on one hand what else do you use and i think there's some mm-hmm. value in that question we need to remember it's not particularly uh necessarily um accurate or, or or even even descriptive like most things you know i've talked about monetary policy before we disagree on it but what we do agree on is it's the direction of the change mm. that's more useful than the absolute number mm. and i think when it comes yep. to auctions it's all on a single day it's reasonably transparent in terms of mm. you know product properties are sold on the market and in auction in front of other people and recorded on the day um, it's a single point in time which data people love because it get, you can collect it all on, on a Saturday and say, right, on Saturday we have the auctions. Here's what happened this weekend, all in one point, rather than 
Well, there were some houses on the sale. Some sold on Monday, some sold on Tuesday, some were on the market for a week, some for a month, some for six months. Uh, some were sold so-called off-market. Never actually, you know, were advertised. They just found a buyer for them. How do you collate all that and kind of come up with something indicative and, and descriptive? I think it's really yeah. hard to do. So I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a problem or it's even a bad thing that they do it that way. But I do think, and this is what I, what I liked about Peter's question is, people look at it and say, oh, obviously that's a thing because that's a thing because that's a thing. As, as you just said, I, mm. good question. I don't, yeah. I don't know why. We all just assume we all talk about it every week. It just <laughs> doesn't matter. Is it, is, it, is it even, is it representative? I'm not sure. Uh, we assume it must be. I, as I said, I think far more importantly than is it representative is just if the trend is representative, and it probably is because you can buy, if you're in the market, you can buy your house, you know, you buy a house that's for sale, you can buy a house that's at auction. Um, mm. Generally speaking, they're going to be reasonably similarly uh, not priced, but similarly impacted by the, the the demand and supply story of the market. So it's probably reasonably yeah. indicative. Uh, so I like yep. that. I also wanted to take the chance to, I think I've told this story before, mate. I can't remember if I have, then feel free to stop me or just let me ramble on, one of the two. <laughs> have, have a snooze, go and get a coffee. I was, on, I was at Sky News Business when back before Ausbeers when Sky News Business was a thing. And we're talking about management estimates. And I said, I think it was on air, but it might have been you know, on a break. Uh, I said, I said, look, I never, I never use management estimates anyway because they're always unreliable and they're not very useful. And, you know, it's, you got to be a little bit careful. And this guy who was on the panel with me looked at me straight in the eye and said, well, what else do I put in my spreadsheet? And it was kind of that idea of like, because it exists, it's better than something that doesn't exist because I get to pretend there's some certainty. And he wasn't even pretending. He was, I'm 99 and a half percent sure he was genuinely serious. Like if I didn't get management's numbers, then how, how could I possibly do my spreadsheet? Now, my answer would have been either don't do the spreadsheet or... If that's literally what you're relying on to do everything you're doing, and management's regularly wrong, or they fudge the numbers, or they, you know, do silly things to try and get the numbers if they're going to miss, which wrecks the long-term future, all those things that are problematic with, with, with management earnings estimates and, and market zone estimates. This guy was like, "Well, I know it's wrong, but what else would I use?" Mm. Which just blew my mind, and it's still, yeah. I still, I still think of that every, frankly, more often than I should. It's like, but, but you know what's wrong with use it because it's there. That that was literally, and I don't, there was no irony in his his reply. I, I'm absolutely sure mm. he. Did it because it was better than nothing, right? In theory, mm. I would argue it's worse than nothing because you, you know, you're, you're willing. If you're you think independently, that could right? be one way to you, do exactly. it. Exactly, right. you're willfully allowing yourself to be misled in one direction or other. Anyway, but I yeah. like that. That's what I like about Peter's question, mate, because it's the thing that's there. It's availability bias. In the absence of that, what else do we think about the property market? How how a house? What a house price is doing? I don't know. Well, there's a number over there. Good. Let's grab that number because then I can answer the question confidently. Or even for myself, not even talking heads, just people in general. You know, yeah. I've, got, I've got a house. My house is worth X dollars, or I think it is. Has it gone up or down recently? I don't know. The auction numbers say up. Okay, that's good then. Mm. Uh, yeah, we, we, we just like to have something in the absence of, you know, nature abhors, abhors a vacuum, uh, but probably no more and probably a whole lot less than the humans abhor a vacuum when it comes to the things we want to know. Uh, <laughs> go on. It's Friday morning, Friday afternoon. Uh, some would say maybe that's uh, the basis of some religions. But I'm not going to offer yeah, more people. Well, but there is, there is some, well, yeah, there is, but there is some concept of you know I don't know what what how did, how did some of those happen? Why did why did this thing happen? Why did the crop fail? Why did the house catch on fire? I can't explain it. I, I needed an explanation. I think it's kind of the same mm. thing. Yeah. No. I think I think there's a lot to be said for that. I am always struck by the opacity of the property market. It is. Yeah. I mean, we are so lucky on the share market. There is sure, certain. There are so many rules that w what must be disclosed. I can see exactly where all the buyers are lined up right now, where all the sellers are. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. You know, all this price withheld nonsense, and you know, all the oh, vendor bid rubbish, and it just like like the whole auction process through to disclosure of information is yeah. just. 
it's just muddy and it's it's very well i'll be a conspiracy theorist it's very much done that way because like the, the middlemen yeah. uh the the real estate agents love it that way right because that gives you the informational edge that 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 you need um so yeah i am struck by that um i also think too that just like with the share market there's there is danger in speaking at too aggregated a level yeah totally. i mean you know, a one-bedroom falling down place out in yeah. the back of nowhere is very different to a beautiful harborside mansion. You know, they all get sort of lumped in together. There are different mm. markets. There are different mm. assets that are all there. And so sometimes a lot of – I think a lot of nuance is is lost within all of that. Mm. And I find it depressing, frankly, that – that we've we have so over financialized these these piles of bricks and mortar that we we almost need the market to tell us what it's worth mm. and and what i mean by that is is that and buffett talks about this a lot you know it doesn't who cares pretend the market's going to close for 10 years would you still buy the yeah. share right what's he getting at there it's like well he's getting at the fact that there is value inherent value in holding this asset i don't need someone to come and give me like to take it off my hands for me to realize value just holding the damn thing is incredibly value because of the cash flow it delivers to me now in any kind of sane world that's what prop in fact that for all of history that was what the great thing about property investing was overall capital was more or less preserved in real terms it really didn't grow that much but what who cares if i can't sell it because <laughs> i get this wonderful stream of income Income that that comes off the rest of it, and so because because the income side of things is negligible at, at this point in time, again in real terms, in net mm. terms, in fact probably negative for about I think forty percent of investors, something like that. Mm. It's just it's it's just a shame, I suppose, that these very basic human right <laughs> assets, you know, shelter, is is has come to a, a point where it's yeah. just you know it, it is it is a, a bit of a speculative um, dimension to it. So I want to ask you then, uh, just a bit of an aside, but, but as a, a bit of a tangent as well. On one hand, you kind of said, ah, why are they <laughs> hiding, obfuscating these numbers? You know, why, are they, why aren't they being transparent with these numbers? On the other hand, we say, well, let the market close for 10 years. And I'm, not, I'm not saying you're wrong. As you were talking, I was thinking that through. On one hand, I really believe in transparency when it comes to public markets. I think it's, I think it's important. On the other hand, the fact we have that transparency, regular reporting means, again, as I was saying about auction results, we listen because we're being told. And we think because there's a number to put in a box, I wonder. I hope our listeners really get this. The, we desperate, so desperately want a number in a box. And once someone puts mm. a number in a box, we go, oh, okay, good, we can anchor to that then. Mm. And we don't really ever ask ourselves whether it matters, how accurate it is to your point about potential obfuscation and other things. I, I mean, on one hand, I'm like, I'm glad there are people, organizations who can give us share prices and property prices. And that makes a more informed, in air quotes, market. But mm. I wonder how much of the Kool-Aid I've been drinking. I mean, to Buffett's mm. point, shouldn't I just say there's a four-bedroom house over there on a block of land that's 800 square meters, and I would pay, uh, it depends where it is, $1.1 million for it. I don't know, I, I'm going to make stuff up now. I don't watch the mm. property market that closely. Regardless of whether someone says it's worth half a million or $2 million. I mean, there, there's something, yes, there's something about uh, understanding the, the cash flows of something and being able to value it from it as an investment. Um, same with shares. If you told me, here's a business, it's a supermarket, it's got a thousand stores, um, it does this much in profit, this much in sales, how much would you pay for that? You've said many times, do your valuation independently and then compare it to the price. I, mm. I wonder at some level if if we wouldn't actually be better as investors. I mean, people hate the idea. What do you mean I can't have prices? I, I need those so I can make my judgment. That might almost be the tell, right? It's like, no, mm. no, no, you don't. You actually need to say it's worth, Woolies is worth $24. How much is it selling for? 30. Oh, I'm not buying that. 
Coles is worth $84. How much selling for? $30. Oh, buy that then. I mean, that's what we should be doing as investors. Mm. But so many of us are, are so tied to the price the market's mm. offering. We kind of, you know, I, I wonder if we're being led in the wrong direction. Yeah, but the, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that you don't collate and present this information. I think mm. the information, I mean, I'm trying to think of the, um, the flow here, but you, you start with, information and from that you draw intelligence and from mm. that you gain wisdom like there's yeah. a flow yeah. there it all yeah. stems from there now the mistake that you're highlighting which is the right one is to rely too much on any one kind of metric or what you know what it is kind of telling you but i'm really glad mm. that it's out there right i i i can try and piece that together appropriately put it in context etc etc so i tend to think i tend while I agree with your point, mm. what's the remedy? We don't have prices publicly disclosed. I think that leads to more unintended consequences that are that are that are more pernicious. So I would mm. I would be much more open, transparent in terms of the property price data that, that comes out of um, that, that comes out of the market mm. to, to make for a more informed market all around. Yes, it tends exactly. to make things more efficient. Now, will some people take some of that data and apply it in silly ways? Yeah. Um, can you stop that? Sadly, no, because people are people are people. But it's just better than the alternative, I think. And I wish I wish there was I wish there was better data on property. This is frustratingly weak. And yeah. there's like two providers, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. That that give you give us the data. So there's a, there's a huge concentration of or counterparty mm. or counterparty risk, if that's the right term. That's there, but yeah. Yeah, I'm. I still. I'm still not sure. I, I, the reality is the reality, which is we all think we want more data because we're supposed to want more data, because we're more efficient. Whenever someone says things, are, it's like the tax system. Let's make tax system more efficient by, you know, having a flat tax. No, no, you don't want efficiency. You want a flat tax. You know, I, mm. and I'm not saying you're saying that, but I just some things we again the things we think we believe because everyone says it all the time. More, more data means more efficiency. Sure. Mm. Does it lead to better outcomes for the average investor? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. If if we close mm. the doors for ten years. Would the average investor be better off or worse off? I would, I would suggest to you, the average investor would be better off with no price data and no ability to sell over 10 years. Just, just almost by definition. But maybe that's, maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm that's being pretty honest. extreme. I don't know. I have, to, I have to chew on that one for a bit. While you do that, let me go to another question, mate. Um, now, this one is, I have to apologize. I, uh, I mentioned Kelly, who um, sent me a message to say that she was excited that you're following her on, on Twitter. I only realized it was a, a spoof account. Someone was trying to scam her. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and, and she, uh, you know, I, we had a bit of fun with that, which I appreciate, Kelly. And thank you for taking the right, in the right, uh, in the right vein. Uh, she sent me a message saying, uh, I've only just caught up on the last few episodes and realized you called me out on air. I was hoping my first star appearance would be a question, but hey, I'll take it. Now, Kelly, you're welcome, but it also made me, I don't think she meant it intentionally, but it made me feel guilty that I hadn't asked her question yet. So I'm sorry to make you a punchline, Kelly, and then not ask the question. So I will rectify that, hopefully, with, uh, with your, uh, your, your uh, forgiveness as I ask you the question, Ram. She says, hey, Scott and Ram, I've got a question for the pod on something I've never really heard anyone talk much about before. Now, Kelly, you've listened to this podcast for a while. Andrew and I talk about the same things over and over again, so we're probably not going to have an answer for this one either. But, let, but let's pretend. She said, I, I've asked a few friends who work in finance who all seem curious but agree they hadn't given it much thought either. Kelly says, I'm a single female in my early 30s and at some point in the next, say, three to five years, will likely either start a family on my own or with a partner if I have one. Even if it's a few years away, I think it's worth starting to financially plan for now. Though I'll say this is really not something we teach young women in our society to think enough about. You're absolutely right, Kelly. I have a decent portfolio of ETFs, she says, and some individual stocks, and I pay a high tax rate on my income. By the time maternity leave rolls around, 
I'd hope that portfolio is back in some green territory, exclamation mark. And I've been thinking about whether it's a good idea to use that year out of the workforce to sell some profit-making holdings, pay tax at a lower rate on the capital gain because my marginal tax rate would be lower that year and use the opportunity to maybe rebalance the portfolio and buy it back in. Is that a savvy use of a low-income period of my life or is it a terrible idea? Is there any other financial advice you can think of that is important for your female audience in particular to hear? I've been listening for several years now and noticed that most of your questions come from men, but I'm sure there are a ton of women listening who would love to hear your thoughts and advice for them, especially since our financial lives are, for many reasons, including taking time out to have and raise children, different to many men. Your advice helps keep me grounded and super focused on building a good future for myself, especially through these rocky market periods. A great weekly reminder to hang in there and write it out. Thanks and full on, Kelly. Kelly, that's an exceptionally great couple of questions and I feel yeah. even more guilty now for not asking them before and instead uh, taking the opportunity to give Ram a bit of grief and, uh, and also obviously <laughs> warn our listeners. Hopefully the good news will be warn our listeners to be, be careful of, of, of sp- uh, scam and spoof accounts. Mate, um, what do you reckon? Uh, sell, sell down some stocks during a year off work and in Kelly's case, potentially maternity leave uh, to take advantage of the lower tax rate and then, and then buy back in or, or is that a silly yeah. idea? No, it's not a silly idea at all. It's a great idea, in mm. fact. But there's a there's a there's a but. There I wouldn't be doing it for the sake of it. But if I'm in a situation where I feel as though I would like to be doing this anyway, that is the time to do it. If it's yeah. not a super urgent thing, but you're generally thinking, "Geez, I'm a bit overweight on this," or "I'm no longer as enamored mm. with this company when I first bought it," again, my usual refrain is, "Don't base that on the profit or loss. It's irrelevant. <laughs> it's." Important yep. to sort of work out your tax, <laughs> but you know whether you continue to hold or not is based on the future, not not on the past. So don't don't base it on that. Mm. I I did the exact same thing when I mean I didn't have an income for a, for a while there as I was trying to sort of do this crazy startup thing, yeah. and it was a great opportunity. Really, I mean I saved thousands in if I had been doing that millions. G- in your portfolio. <laughs> let's let's wish that that was the case. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, I, I saved yeah. a lot, a lot of money by doing that. And I mentioned in a recent episode, a bit out of order because of these pre-records, how um, that was the advantage of a, a family ta- a family trust structure as well, sort of directing where the, the payments go. So yeah. I think I think the, the the thinking is is bang on. There's other parts of the question I want to get to, but I'll, I'll let you have a crack at, at that component. Yeah, thank you, mate. Um, I, I think it's a great idea. I will just throw one thought. Uh, so, so I think it's a great idea. Uh, to Ram's point, don't just do it for the tax benefit. Uh, you know, do it, do it because it's the right thing to do. Although you do get to potentially effectively prepay some tax at a lower rate, which is always nice, right? Um, if you've got to pay a, a million dollar capital gain at 45% tax, or you can pay, you know, $300,000 gain so far at... 15 that's true that's a really good point there's there's some really meaningful tax savings there so have a think think about that that. the flip side though kelly and it's probably not you because you're young and you know i hate young people even our young female listeners uh my apologies um is that you just want to be a little bit careful it depends on what the stock is and whether how long you're going to hold it for because if you were to let me just use round numbers because it's easy if you were to sell a hundred thousand dollar uh stock and let's say it's capital gain of a hundred thousand dollars you pay tax at 30%, 30%, again, pick numbers, you got 70 grand left over. Now you reinvest that 70 grand, you, you're kind of, you've paid the tax, so that's out of the way. But when you had the 100 grand, you were kind of, you were you were letting the tax money ride. You, you were making gains on the tax that you otherwise would have paid, right? So the 30 grand tax you're paying now because you're selling early, you would have still had invested. 
And so again, on that full hundred grand, even though there was tax at some point in the future, you get to compound the tax officer's money effectively by holding it out of the market. And so all leaving it in the market, I should say. So that's kind of, there's some benefit there. And more so, again, probably not for you at your age, but more so if you were going to hold those for the long term and then potentially at some point harvest an income from those shares. So think about an ETF, for example. You say you have a portfolio of ETFs. If, for example, you're going to hold the same ETF till you were 70 and use that to generate retirement income, now you may not because it's you know 40 odd years away, but let's say you were, you could never sell that at all and get fully franked, or mostly franked would be because it's a, an ETF, mostly franked income for the remainder of your retirement without ever recognizing a capital gain. And again, then you're using the tax officer's money uh, to generate you know, in, uh, uh, dividend income, which is even better. So th there's a couple of thoughts just to think, just think about, you, you do get the tax benefit, so that's great. Uh, if you're gonna sell it anyway, next, sometime in the next five or 10 years, you're almost certainly better off to do it while you're having a year yeah. off work, if maternity leave or travel or whatever else you wanted to do. Um, but otherwise, uh, just think about what the likely future, and you can't know for sure, so you know, it's, it's cool. Um, but have a think about it. If the stuff you tend to keep for the very long term, never selling means you never pay capital gains tax or maybe your heirs do and that's their problem, not yours. Um, but at that point, it just, it just lets you do that in a very different way. Yeah, now you want to get on to the rest said. of the question? I just, I just reflect on the observation um, that this is a total sausage factory of an industry. <laughs> it's 90% male. Really is classy, that, right? That's lovely. Would you like that? <laughs> but it is. It is. It's, it really full is. Of, it's full of testosterone and male ego. And, uh, and we're weaker for it as an industry. I'm not just trying to be PC here. I, was, I think there's umpteen numbers of studies that show- um, Oh, gotcha. You know, w w ladies just tend to be more- um, emotionally resilient which as we keep preaching is just such a key key important thing less less influenced by greed more aware of the downside um and just you know so it's a, it's a shame i think the the funds management industry the advice industry is just weaker for yep. just having a bunch of ego-driven hothead males you know and <laughs> just just watch the wolf of wall street you know how many women were in in, in those various scenes and it's kind of like uh -huh. Yeah, actually, pretty pretty reflect uh, accurate reflection, and it's it's yep. it's just disappointing, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't know why more girls don't get into it. Mm. I probably because it is can be a pretty yeah. Um, what's the word for it? The culture's not great, and I you know <laughs> you 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 you'd you'd be in a very clear minority as a, as a female in this industry and you have to deal with some really annoying personality types <laughs> as a general rule as Ram well. and I aside, of course. Oh, I've got, obviously, we're different. But, I mean, you know the type, <laughs> mate. When you when you look at the typical broker, right, yep. they just fit a mould. It's like a real estate agent. You can spot them three blocks down the road. Like just all of all of the yeah, usual yeah. sort of tells and not not the best sort of human characteristics, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll happily say. So I don't, I don't know what the remedy is, but I... But I, I, I do just underscore that point that, and I'm not saying it just to be nice, but this is, yeah. this is really, something that- not nice, by the way. He's, he's not, he's probably shouldn't- Well, I'm just, I, there, there are, <laughs> there, there is a genetic advantage as a female when it yep. comes to investing and, and 100%. you know, use, use that to, to, um, to encourage you to go mm -hmm. into it and also use the fact that the system is just, I mean, it is for-, for Better or worse, it does tend to be the child rearing is mainly done um, by by one of the sexes, yep. and 
that means a couple of things. It means that you miss out on the experience and the career progression. It means there's usually, if you're, if you're having a few kids, I mean, that's mm. a long time out of the workforce, which the CV sort of stagnates. And not only that, you're not adding anything to super along the way. So if anything happens to the marriage or the partnership or whatever it happens to be, and you know, statistically that's pretty often, you're in real disadvantage, you know, unless you sort of start fighting things through the court. So it's it's a to I think it's really important for for women to to think about finances more, and and it's not fair, and and hopefully we can we can move things more in the right direction, but. Because of that um, unevenness, you know, you, mm. you kind of got to work a bit harder to, to to sort of really save and invest because because of the disadvantage that's inherent in the system. Yeah, it's lovely, beautifully put, mate. I um, Kelly, I so I guess a few thoughts. Um, Remy, you talked about the the industry itself, the professional investors, and you're absolutely right. Um, what I what I despair about is not that I need people to do economics, but the the percentage of of high school students. Uh, women who girls who are doing economics is is at a, like a 40 odd year low is so it? many more blokes than girls mm. doing economics and so when you're trying to change the future i don't think economics and, and money is in any way shape or form the the key thing that society should be focused on and i don't I, you know i've said before a, a, an economy is there to service society not the other way around so mm. economics is not the most important thing in the world but it's pretty bloody important if you do want to take control of your financial future because understanding the way the world works properly means understanding the way the economy works for better or ill and, and to be able to make good decisions and, and thoughts. And so you kind of, I'm a bit, um, if it was up to me, I'd make, I'd make economics more compulsory during high school, not because I'm a finance nerd. I'm sure science people are saying, no, it's biology. And someone's, no, it's geography. Mm-hmm. And no, it's maths. Um, it is, it's just, the, it's, it's the way the world works. You know, we, we talk about math and English, the way we communicate and count. And yes, economics is to some degree applied maths and applied psychology, but I think it's useful. So it really disturbs, disturbs me that not enough girls are doing economics because the, the path to finance is generally, you know, investing is generally indirectly or directly through economics. Now, you didn't do it at uni, mate, so you're, you're, you're an exception, but most people, you know, do, do economics, then do your commerce at uni or economics at uni, then join, you know, some broking firm. That's how it tends to work. <laughs> That's why but, they're but all even, so terrible. Well, <laughs> totally nonsense right. filled, filled in the, totally. with their heads. Yeah. Uh, but, if, but even at school, you know, I wish more girls did economics as, as a proportion and, and absolutely. Um, well, can I just, just, just to yeah. underscore that again, I mean, this is, I really want to highlight the point you make there. It's not some abstract kind of academic area. I mean, yeah. you can't talk about or think about about society yes. <laughs> at large without yes. understanding economics. It's really the study of interaction between humans. That's so right. it's kind, you know, it's, you, you, and it makes you a more informed voter. It's got it more makes- to do with psychology than the maths, mate. The, the pe- people think economics is a math subject. I mean, it, there are some mathematical ways to explain what happens. It's, oh, I, I'm, bloody- I'm convinced it's applied psychology. Keynesians, yeah, you know, I mean, with all the econometricians, whatever yeah, yes. they're called, you know, we, we we found such great virtue and value in applying mathematical laws yeah. to physical laws. And it's like, wow, that's really powerful and really predictive. And yeah. so we put it on, we put it to, to economics. We just talked well, about that, right? Numbers in boxes. Yeah, right, right. You know, you, and you it's know, just- you know the it's great, the great, sorry, I'm talking about the, the great thing, the econo- I'll let you talk. The great thing economists did was it was utilize the Latin term ceteris paribus. Yes, I love that. Which yeah. and, and, and it's absolutely correct in the way it's used, which is these two relationships hold if nothing else changes, which is it's 100% right. Yeah. The reality is there is no circumstance in the entire world in which nothing else changes. You can't hold everything else constant because the world is a messy lot of interactions for different reasons, for emotional and, and logical reasons and theoretical and practical implications. And saying, yeah. well, this would happen if nothing else changes is, is perfectly fine. 
But it's like yeah. saying, if my grandmother had a wheel, she'd be a bicycle. I mean, yeah, sure, but she doesn't. She's not. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this and this this is the thing that that there there are as with we talk about valuation, DCF, mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. Are you ever going to get anything that's very accurate out of that? No. Is it a complete waste of time? No, it's not. Um, it, it, it can be very informative to your thinking and mm. trying to sort of understand how things work. I think there's value in applying maths to certain economic concepts as well, not not to make the mistake of hyper-specificity and false precision, but because of just helping you sort of think through all of those kinds of, mm. um, those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, it's worth remembering too, there's a lot of pretty big debates that are unsettled there. So I'm with you that it should be more um, widely taught. Mm. But let's stick to the big eternal truths, you know, yeah, the basics, yes, like correct. the supplies High school, high school commerce, not university economics. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Sorry, hey, um, you, you, you go on. No, I was going to say, so, no, so in, terms of, in terms of women, so my point was, so what I was getting to with the high school stuff is there is still too much of a sense in society and, and among women, unfortunately, and it's not women's fault, but it is what it is, that economics is a boy's thing and that money is a guy's thing and that investing is something that guys do and girls don't do. And I'm really glad that in a whole lot of areas around our society, those gender stereotypes are being broken down. It's really, really, really important. Um, you know, and I've said before, when I think of a nurse, I think of a woman. Now, partly as my mum was a nurse, partly because I'm conditioned to. And I think doctor, honestly, the number of times I've assumed doctor meant bloke is embarrassing. And not because I consciously want to, because I've been conditioned to do it. And it's not okay, but it is what it is. And so when we think economics, finance, money, investing, it's like, you know, girls don't tend to be interested in it. I'm glad you are, Kelly, by the way. And again, that's why I'm saying I'm generalizing absolutely. Uh, but I know from our own membership stats at Motley Fool, for example, we index dramatically, over-index dramatically for blokes rather than girls, right? And it drives me, it drives me nuts. Oh, same here. Oh, well, um, we are, 90% of our members would be male. Right. And so, and so, and that's just, that's, and that's the, that's the society we're in. It doesn't mean it's okay. We're not going to accept it, but that's what we're doing. Um, so Kelly, you ask, you ask a beautiful question about, you know what women need to know i guess the first thing i'd say for women listening is i mean i should do my job for me which is please encourage your female friends to get more involved in investing um not the ones that are in finance they get it already the ones who aren't the ones who are doing the caring professions because they care and are so focused on the family and their jobs and other things that they don't remember to think about finance or consider it or it's just it's so far outside their experience they don't know what they don't know they're the people you can absolutely help kelly and all, all the women listening um if, if there are blokes all the rest of the blokes are listening Talk to your partners, talk to your kids, talk to your mother, talk to your auntie, talk to your friends. Make sure that the women in your lives have at least had these. Don't, don't badge them. Don't, you know, don't, don't do a bloke mansplaining thing, by the way. Um, <laughs> just, just, you know, but, but try, try, to, try to expose them to some of this stuff, particularly if they're not into it. You can't create desire. You can't do all that sort of stuff. But a, a man's not a plan, as they say, and a man's certainly not a financial plan. <laughs> and so that's, it's just a really, really important thing to do. So I think that's, I think that's important, Kelly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add a couple of thoughts. First is investing doesn't care. Money doesn't care whether you're male or female. So you're absolutely right. There are some specific things. Rams talked about that, about you know, taking time out of the workforce to raise kids and that kind of stuff. That's absolutely true. Women get paid less than blokes. I mean, add those two things together and wonder why women have you know lower um, superannuation balances than guys. It's not, not a surprise. No. But I would say, uh, don't overthink the investing thing. From a, Recognize when, it matter, when gender matters and when it doesn't matter. You know, Woolies shares will go up or down whether or not whether a bloke owns them or a woman owns them. Compounding works the same way in both cases. Saving works the same way in both cases. Uh, the money itself doesn't doesn't care. What I'm most passionate about is is getting women to know what they don't know, 
And, it's, and I don't know the answer, Kelly. I wish I did. I've talked to my wife so many times about this. Trying to find a way to get more women. I mean, look, selfishly, at a, at a business level, my boss would be more than happy if I had more women members because we'd have more members overall. But it's not really even about that. It's just, I don't know how to get more girls to do economics. I don't know how to get more women to invest. Probably because I'm not a woman, funnily enough. Um, so if you've got ideas, Kelly, or anyone else, please let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to help. Um, there are too many blokey voices like Andrews and mine doing this podcast, right? There's some great female driven podcasts out there. I would say, and I don't mean this about anyone in particular, please don't fall for the um, where when we have to do things differently or there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, a pink color to a podcast or a pink color to a financial product, therefore it's for women. It, just, it doesn't work that way. Um, it shouldn't work that way. And please be mindful of that. Um, don't let people sell you stuff. You know, it's like ethical investing. They, they charge you more fees because they're trying to get you in on that, that angle. If it's like, oh, here's a woman's thing. You got, you know, there's some superannuation funds out there, by the way, targeted at women that charge fees that are extortionate and frankly unethical and unconscionable. But they do it and they try and attract women because they oh, this is for women. We're, we're, we're like you. It's like, no, no, no. They want you to believe that so they can charge you more fees. So just, just be careful with that. Uh, but but whatever you can do, whatever you can tell us to do, whatever, however you can help us do it, uh, listen to female voices if they're more acceptable, if you can, if they just sound better, uh, if you feel like they share your experience and, and they know what you're going through and vice versa. If you can find some affinity with some genuinely great female financial advisors, podcasts, hosts, writers, whatever, knock yourself out. If, if, and, if, and if your friends, if it helps them, then then that's awesome and I love it. Um, but just just be just be careful of that. But again, I'll just reiterate before Ram jumps in again. Um, just that idea of you know, it, it's not <laughs> it's not fair that women earn less, uh, take more time out of the workforce, so we don't we don't fix that society. We absolutely should. Let me say that we haven't yet. It may take years for us to do so. In the meantime, I'm glad you're taking control of your own financial life, Kelly, because it's important. And you, you know what, you're you're a great example for your friends and family. If you can do a bit of a hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I've seen work for me. Here's how it's worked. You should try this too. You're going to do them a, a massive, massive, massive favor. That honestly, they won't really understand for decades. And when they do, uh, you'll be there. You'll be their favorite mate because you'll have done them a, an absolute special. Yep. I just think it's all in the framing. I think a lot of guys are attracted to. Well, the reason more guys are probably attracted to it because the hub, it's a very hubristic approach. Yeah. Of yeah, I can make I can make a squillion dollars, you yep. know, and I can drive the yep. Ferrari and yep. get all the girls yep. and all that stupid sort of macho kind of yep. nonsense. Whereas, uh, gotta be careful. I'm, you know, the, the generalization might be for girls. It's nice, like, well, I'm not. I think that sounds really dumb and risky. And good luck with that, boys. But I am very interested in preserving and growing my wealth in a prudent, low-risk kind of way over many, many years. So I think usually when I speak to people about the market, it's just mm. straight away you're seen as like a crazy gambler. It's like, oh my mm. gosh, you've got all your money in the share market. Like the people like look at you with in like you are. You're an idiot, right? It sounds really, really reckless yep. to do, and yep. I think there's a lot of good alarm bells that go off for reason, for good reasons. When 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 you sort of say that, yeah. But just and that's why I say framing is important. So when mm -hmm. you're having conversations, it's like, hey, this is this is not about trying to buy a big private yacht and have a sports car and impress people with Quite these okay. stupid shiny things. Yeah. This this is this is like, what do you want? You want long term security. That's what you want, and that's what mm. it's about, right? And and frame it that way. And by the way, good, sisters, yeah. you know, you, you're you're sailing into the wind against all kinds of um, uh, uh, prejudices that are out there. So it's kind of even yep. more important. And, and maybe that's the best way to do it. I don't know. Hundred percent. And by the way, Kelly, if you or anyone else has got any ideas, hit us up on all the usual socials and email and stuff. I'd love to do it. I've, I've interviewed um, some female investors before. Miss Moneybox. I don't know if she's still blogging. Roman. Yeah, she's while. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's she's doing some stuff. She actually was was doing a doctorate last I spoke to her. Um, she's been on the podcast years and years and years ago. I probably should get her back on. Actually, probably a good idea. Um, there's other other female entrepreneurs and, and people we've talked to. Um, 
Yeah, look, but if, if anyone listening has some ideas of ways that have worked for them or their friends or something else and they want us to pass them on, I would love to. So um, feel free to, to hit us up. We're, Andrew and I are going to do a, a women investing special because we don't know, um, but happy to talk to, to female investors and, and, and see what works. We'll just pass on some, some stuff. So feel free to do that as well. I'll give a shout out to uh, Kate from the Rask podcast as well. Mm. does it with Owen. That's another good female awesome. voice in the space. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's great. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, mate, let's get a question from Paul. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Firstly, please feel free to use my first name. Good man, Paul. I'm a longtime listener and subscriber of Motley Fool Services, and I'm a straw man subscriber. I really appreciated the air quotes extra time. I think he means we went too long. Uh, that was spent on the Woolies thought experiment during May. I feel far more confident in researching companies to the nth degree when it comes to what they do, their competitors, the unique selling proposition and so forth. But I'm less confident in constructing a financial case. The thought experiment was a great way of validating some of the approaches I've been trying. But this is not my question, says Paul. In your pod on the 19th, I'm not the May, I think, on the 19th, you mentioned that you keep very little in cash as you hate the idea that every dollar you hold in cash will not get a return, which is a bet against your fundamental view the market will go up over time. I've said that. I've spent the last four or so years, says Paul, building up a reasonable portfolio of index ETFs. And more recently, this has started to transition to stock picking as I've been able to build more conviction. Nice work. I do have a rainy day fund, he says. But I've been thinking for some time that I should invest it for the same reasons you mentioned in the podcast. So with that in mind, I want to start dollar cost averaging my rainy day fund into ETFs over 24 months as there's no liquidity risk while continuing to direct savings over to my stock picks. Sure, I might get unlucky and have to withdraw it near a market bottom, but to bastardize Peter Lynch's quote, far more money could be lost by preparing for an emergency than in dealing with that emergency. I'd be interested to learn how you balance your view with the realities that you may need to call on emergency cash in the future. For example, do you keep a rainy day fund? If not, presumably you would draw from your investments to service the emergency. If this is the case, and granted, this would be an extreme unfortunate circumstances, how would you go about determining which investment you would liquidate first? Hashtag Kogan, hashtag altcoin, hashtag drink <laughs> from Paul. Thank you, Paul. Fantastic question, mate. Love it. Um, thank you for the yeah. kind words too, by the way. Uh, what do you reckon, mate? Just just invest the invest the rainy day fund and roll the dice. It depends. <laughs> um, <laughs> we get this one from time to time because it's such a good question. Yeah. And you know, I I think it really depends on your total net wealth. If I look, just yeah. give a stupid example. I got a hundred million dollars, right? Mm. Let's say I've got that. I'd invest the whole damn lot because even on very big market fluctuations, I will always be able to sell to cover any kind of expenses. Yeah, I might have it a loss, but I am fine. There is nothing to sort of worry about there. You know, um, if on the other hand, I've only got $10,000 in in sort of savings, am I going to put that all into the market? Even with the intention there for the long term, it's like, well, there are cars break down, accidents happen, health scares come along. You know, I, I think it's probably prudent. So my own my own experience is that I've actually got much more than I want to have in cash, uh, and it's not for market timing or anything like that in particular. It's just the realities of my personal situation, mm. in which my my income is pretty variable and, and not very well established at this early stage. Yeah. Is that I don't ever I just I just need that buffer there because I am despite you know what what you might think I'm a very risk adverse individual, mm. and and. 
Um, I know that the kind of shares I have can be highly variable and I just don't know what I'm going to be earning yeah. next year. Yeah. So it's like, it just, seems, it just seems prudent to me. Even though I know longer term, it's probably going to disadvantage me. It just, I just, I sleep easier at night knowing that, well, if the market, you know, throws all its toys out of the cot and I have to wear <laughs> a big short-term loss, and like, well, at least I've got something there that I'm not a forced seller at, at those kinds of levels. If I had more money and more reliable income, I couldn't see how I wouldn't be very, very significantly fully invested. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe a small amount off to the side. Yeah, I I really like this question because it made me think. I have a stock answer, and as always, stock answers can sometimes become almost quasi cliches, or at least you know, easy to easy to roll out. Um, but I think your answer is probably almost perfect, man. It depends on what degree of impact it would make on your life if you couldn't meet those bills, or what you'd have to do to meet those bills. Um, it's really hard, isn't it? The good yeah. thing, by the way, Paul, is you're getting, you're getting a decent return on cash at the moment, a term deposit. So, so ironically, yeah. it's probably it's probably the, a better time to have a rainy day account that has been in the last decade and a half. So, the, there's that, right? You're getting I don't know, three and a half, I suppose, in term deposit RAM. I haven't checked for a while. Um, so, but look, to ask about me, I'm, I'll, I'll give you my answer, Paul. Actually, um, we have got a decent amount of money as a savings slash spending buffer. Uh, for larger things, we're, we're at the moment. Oh, mate, twenty twenty three sucks. I, I, I'm, I won't whinge too much because people got it far, far worse than I have. We've had our heater break. We've had, uh, we, we've, t- we've chosen to insulate our roof at the same time. In fact, we chose the insulation, then the heater broke. It's a bloody <laughs> underfloor heater. It's going to cost us a fortune to fix. Um, what else? A deck, a deck on the front thing's rotted through, so that's got to be repaired. Like it's just, it's just one of those years where you go, oh man, come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. We are going to. So what I've actually done recently, speaking of you know all being fully invested, I've actually not put, I've not invested money in the last four or five months. I don't think. Um, I've saved my investment cash and I moved across my regular investment savings account, ready to, to invest. But I haven't put it to work because I'm not sure what those bills are going to look like. So my rainy day fund has actually ended up being kind of added to or, or created or, or just not invested because I'm figuring I might have to pay some sizable bills sometime soon so that's kind of how i've gone about doing that part of um that part of the process in terms of kind of building up some now it's not, not an emergency because you know the heater broke it hasn't been fixed yet by the way it will be fixed soon um i won't quite have added enough to my investment to make that up over the next couple of months but close enough and whatever so there's all that going on at the same time um i I've had say I've had a separate savings account for a while that'll pay for those things, and because what I do, I tend to add, and I probably make this change. This is a long and complicated answer. Sorry, Ram. Um, I've, I add a certain amount regularly to my investment account every month, and other months, if I've got money left over, that I mean, you talked about your approach to budgeting before. Um, if I've got money left over at the end of the month, after so I always invest on payday. The money just goes out of my account into my investment account on payday every single time, mm. but. There's leftover cash sometimes every after the end of a month that I just haven't spent. I've, we've, we've budgeted well or we just haven't spent the money, haven't needed to. And that money just kind of sits in my savings account for no really good reason. And it's kind of built up slowly over time. I'm, I'm not squinting it. It's, you know, five figures, not even high five figures. Um, you know, it's just, it's just there because it's kind of built up over time. I just haven't chosen to re-divert that cash into my investing. I probably could, maybe I should, but I've kind of left it there to do its own thing. Um, and not, not really do much in terms of 
I could I could invest every single dollar and make sure, but it's kind of left there because it means if I, you know, we have a month where we've got more to spend, we just can and not have to worry about month on month, you know, running the savings account really lean. So I guess I use it almost like a offsetty redrawery kind of, you know, account that kind of puts in the excess cash and then some of the excess cash comes out of it. We are going to go on holidays. We are on holidays now. This is going to air. Um, use some of that money to pay for it. It's going to be a big fuel bill to drive the Uluru back. Um, so, you know, some of that goes in there. So it's it's a, it's a really unsatisfying answer, Paul, as, as they tend to be, because as Ram said, it does depend. Um, I, I always say know yourself. Again, it's a usual answer. If you're going to not take the money out, you're going to hate taking the money out, or... You know what? If it had been March 2020, you take the money out at 60 cents on the dollar because you just needed to replace the water heater or the car at that exact time, you're going to hate that. Or most people are going to hate that. Was it still a good bet? Probably for exactly the reason you talk about with my own investing. I'm always, I'm always fully invested because I believe over time it's going to go up. Even though some investments shares go down since I bought them, over time I'm, I'm convinced that's the right approach for me. Um, yeah, I don't know, Ram. I, I was kind of no, rambling a bit there. Look, I mean, it's, it's hard. There's, there's no, like most things in this yeah. area, there's no like, oh, this is it, do this. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's why I it's always say it depends. Yes. So I think that's, I think, yeah, just, just, um, just make sure that, I like, I, the, the term I'm looking for here is anti-fragile. I want to mm-hmm. build a portfolio and structure that is anti-fragile. Yeah, One that will hopefully deliver good, appreciation over time but one that will be able to wear and weather through a few few knocks not because i've predicted there's going to be a difficult economic time because i just know that guaranteed there will be at some point because there always are it's very cyclical in in kind of nature i don't want to spend 10 years building up a really you know nice little nest egg only to have it all wiped out you know um like the turkey on on thanksgiving day right just everything's brilliant till till it isn't um, yeah, that's a good point. The, the the final question that that Paul asked was a good one too, which was how would you go about determining which investment you would liquidate yeah. first? Yeah, and I think that one for me is an easier one to answer. And I I would say it is the one I am has the lowest return potential from here. And the little wrinkle on that would be, but I would have a view towards sort of the tax implications <laughs> of, of oh, that as well. Yeah, after you know. tax return. It's it's always the after tax return from here. It's yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But but if I'm holding something, I doesn't really care. Up, down, whatever. If mm. if if it's just like I no longer believe and I don't think it's a good investment from here. I, the, of all the things I hold, it's the least mm. lowest conviction, lowest return kind of thing. That's an easy. That's an easy kind of decision. Um, uh, I, I know I keep repeating myself here, but too mm. often the decision is made on the profit and the loss. Well, I'm going to sell that yeah. one because yeah. I'm happy to sell something down. that's up. Yeah. You never go yeah. broke taking a profit. Ra 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 ra. And you just end up, you know, uh, weeding the flowers and watering the weeds. And it's, it's usually a bad yeah. approach. Yeah, exactly. Mate, like, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I can't have much more of that. I completely agree with that. That's exactly what I'd do. Hey, mate, um, I, I will say, by the way, that question came from Paul, who sent it to me on Twitter, also posted it on Strawman. So, uh, Paul, thank you for doing both those things. Just to make sure we were, we were paying attention. Um, <laughs> mate, one from Brendan. who says, hey, Scott and Andrew, I've got a question for the podcast. You were talking recently about offset accounts, cash accounts, etc. I've currently got 100K sitting in an offset account, brackets earning me 5.74%, which is my mortgage rate. This quotes income is 1000% tax-free effectively, says Brendan. I'm not sure you claim it's 1000% tax-free, Brendan, but I think I know what you're saying. Equivalent income from any other avenue, taking into account income tax on dividends or interest or capital gains on anything else would be what? 7.5% or more, surely. In the current environment, offset is surely one of the best looking options. 
Do I interpret this accurately? And to what degree do you guys agree? For the 12 months to date, my offset return, in quotes, has dominated my various share or an ETF investments of a similar value. Is now the time, mate, to uh, to pull some money out of shares or not contribute and, and whack it in the offset instead? Uh, I, I don't know because that's that's a different question, isn't it? Because that's that's a there's a timing dimension to that. So I don't yes. I don't know, and I know you do that <laughs> deliberately. Um, that's that, that's that's something I I don't know. But I've long said that it is mm. such a great guaranteed and attractive return, especially accounting for tax. I don't know why more people don't do it. Well, actually, I do. Yeah. The reason why you don't do it is because in an environment where things are going to the moon, yeah. you just you, yeah, what right. you want to do is yes. let the leverage ride yes. and yes. take that money instead of paying off your into your offset mm-hmm. account, mm-hmm. like take that and invest that elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Who does better? Well, the person who went up to the eyeballs in leverage and, and bet mm-hmm. it all. They do mm-hmm. much better than you, but but they're also the kind of person that gets wiped out the second that there's a there's a hiccup. So, mm-hmm. I I. Yeah, uh, I think the. I'm, I'm, you know why I'm hesitating here because Sorry. I know that this is exactly against the lived experience for so many people yeah. out there, which is save up a deposit, buy a house, build some equity, roll it into a new house, wash, mm-hmm. rinse, repeat, and it's just been a spectacularly successful strategy. I just happen to think it's also an incredibly reckless one that we're we're, we're basically mm, saying it's mm. good because so far it's been good. In other words, you and me have been playing Russian roulette all night and <laughs> yeah, we're still standing. That's right. What, Therefore, it was a smart what, thing to do. What yeah, are you talking yeah. about? It wasn't yeah, risky. Right. Look, we're still, right. we're still both here. <laughs> it was risky. I'd be dead by now. It doesn't work you know? that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, that's why I hesitate because it, yeah. there'll be people listening and go, that's not the experience. And had I done mm-hmm. what you said, I would be far poorer than I am today. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> it just it just it it comes back to that anti fragility mm-hmm. again, and mm-hmm. and this is why your comment of know thyself is really yeah. important. And yeah. and for me, and it's a, it, it depends, but for mm-hmm. me, I I am risk averse. I love the idea of a guaranteed return. Mm-hmm. I love the optionality that comes with the offset, right? In the sense that I get to sort of guaranteed saving in, in here, and then if something just lands on my lap or comes across the desk at one point in time. Well, I've got a bunch of cash there that I can draw on to use it. When you know, when you get the fat pitch, swing you bum. You know, swing as, as Buffett says. Yeah. And so that's that's a really nice uh, op- opportunity as well. And if it's all said and done, and it just turns out that all you've done is just pay your loan off, and now you're mortgage free. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have any mortgage or interest or costs. I certainly yeah. don't have any rent costs. Like that. That is a return that of just of just in- incredible proportions. And and then then you can start looking at well paid that off, I guess I've got to start doing something else with my savings now. And then you can go from there. I, I don't ever think you'll, you'll, you'll heavily regret that decision going in, in that direction, but it was the wrong thing to do over the last 15, 20 years. So I acknowledge that. Yeah, I'm going to try and take this about four different directions and do it reasonably quickly, mate. So watch me, watch me fall okay. spectacularly off the tightrope. Um, okay, Brendan, here we go. Uh, first thing, you talk about the last 12 months of returns and the fact that the offset smashed those returns over the last 12 months. Uh, that is absolutely true, obviously. Uh, will that be the same in the next 12 months? I don't know. 12 months after? I don't know. I wouldn't you. And, and by the way, if you'd, if you'd had 20% share market returns last last 12 months, I still wouldn't use that as, an, as a, a decision um, mm. data point when it comes to whether or not to put money in the offset. The last 12 months are the last 12 months. The next 12 months are probably going to be different because they very rarely are the same year on year. Could be a lot more, could be a lot less, could be a little bit more, a little bit less. 
don't know. So I understand the experience. You looked at that and gone, man, my investing has sucked so far. I could have got 5.74% in the offset. What the hell was I doing? Hindsight's always 2020. The question though is obviously, and you know this, but just to make the point, uh, look forward, shouldn't I just do that again next year? I was like, well, I don't know, because I don't know what's happening with the share market next year. So that's the first on that one. Second thing, uh, we've talked before or possibly in the future round, because we're pre-recording this and I can't remember the sequence either, uh, <laughs> about offsets. Offsets are wonderful, except that the banks offer them because they know you're probably going to spend the money. Yeah. So is it is a 5.74% guarantee paying off the mortgage good? Absolutely. Is a 5.74% saving while you put aside 50 grand you're then going to use to buy a new car in three years' time a saving? No, that's officially false economy because you've literally kind of done something you thought you were going to do. And this is not about you, Brendan. It's about me and Ram and anybody else. The money just sitting there, burning a hole in your pocket. Look at that account every now and again. 50 grand there, 50 grand there. I could buy a Hilux for that. 50 grand there, 50 grand there. Gee, use Tesla's about that price. I could put a pool in. You know, we really should renovate the, the back room, uh, you know, all of a sudden. So it should be Equity, really, really, really careful. Equity, Equity mate. Yeah. Be really careful, right, about, about using that. Now, and it's easier than, you know, Equity, mate, was the redraw thing. This is pure offset. This is even, yeah, right. even better slash yeah. worse, right? It's like it's just. But you are, you are drawing on your, on your totally. equity value, though, exactly. right? It is a credit card. It is absolutely. Yeah. That's why the banks do. I made that point in the episode we recorded, Correct. which may or may not have come out. But yeah, it's a credit yeah, card. Exactly. That's why I'm <laughs> so, so be mindful of that. Um, now, you might be one of the people who can be disciplined about it. Uh, plenty of people can, even more people can't. So just be, be careful about that. Next one, 5.4% uh, is a great return. Uh, I want to just mention the fact that we talk about capital gains and dividends and stuff. That's true. Um, but just be mindful of the specific tax rate of those things. So uh, cash in the bank, full tax rate uh, on, the, on the interest dividends yeah if they're franked you're going to pay a meaningful reduction so just be careful not to assume that all those gains so capital gains tax half your marginal rate so whenever you do the calculations it doesn't change it markedly necessarily just be mindful don't take your marginal tax rate and say well obviously therefore it's the same as earning this in capital gains or this in dividends because those two are tax advantaged relative to earned income for reasons we can argue about later uh, but they are currently anyway and so just be mindful of that if you're paying 15 percent you know on your on your dividends well, that's, you know, what does 5.74 go to? 6.2, something like that. The, mm. the, the hurdle comes down a lot. Um, so be, be mindful of that. Uh, thirdly, you made the point, Ram, I think it's third. If it's fourth, my apologies, I can't count. You made the point about pay your mortgage off, then you can think about investing in other stuff. The one, the one big reason I would say to people before you pay off or pay down your mortgage, the one thing to think about is the mortgage at the moment is forced saving. You're putting money aside every month because you've got to pay the bank back. Now, I'm not saying don't pay it back more quickly. I'm just saying you have to do it. There's no choice. Once you pay the mortgage off, the, I don't know, what's a mortgage for these days? Four grand a month for average mortgage? I don't know, something like that. The four grand you're paying off, uh, you should take that money and put it in shares to, to make up for the missed compounding in the, old, in the old days when you were paying off the mortgage. So many people go, oh, thank God we paid off the mortgage. I really want to go to Italy. I think we should redo the bathroom. And again, the same issues of, are you going to make yourself put that money aside? The worst thing you do is say, I'm going to leave it on the mortgage and pay the mortgage down instead of investing. I'll get a better return. The mortgage is paid down. You say, thank God that's done. I think I'll spend that money. And all of a sudden, 25 years later, you go, oh, that's right. I was supposed to save that money, wasn't I? I never quite got around to it. I never quite did it. Things got a little bit, blah, blah, blah. So just be just be careful about the way. Again, not you, Brendan, but listeners generally. I, I love the forced savings of a mortgage. I know it's not perfect. I know it's not, I'm not saying the returns are necessarily going to be spectacular, Ram's point before. I'm just saying it makes you buy, it makes you, invest in an asset 
that you will own at some point when it's paid off assuming you don't you know redraw and and you know keep trying to trade up and trade up and trade up eventually you own this thing and whether it's worth half a million million one and a half million two million whatever whatever the numbers end up being in 10 15 20 years you'll have an asset worth that and they can't take it away from you so that's what i love about forced saving ram has made the point many times arithmetically it's often better to rent and invest rather than own your own home and i'm not saying you shouldn't do that either just like if you go to any of those things, you need to do the other bit. You can't just say, mm. I'm going to rent because it's better to rent and invest. Did you invest? No, I never quite got around to it. Or I'm going to pay the mortgage off and then I'll invest after that. Did you end up investing? No, I never quite got around to it. Or I invested some, but not all because I need to live. You know, we, we tell ourselves all these amazing stories. That's why I love superannuation. I've said a million, bazillion times. Super is great because you look around the world, no other nation without compulsory savings invests and saves as much as we do in Australia because we have to. You just, you know, all the best of intentions are great. You just don't end up doing it. So um, they're, they're probably the thoughts. Uh, that being said, for all of that, Brennan, I have zero issue with anyone deciding to pay the money off the off the mortgage or put it in the offset. I'd rather pay the mortgage now, by the way. I might rather, I, 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 if it was me, increase your increase the amount in your offset to cover a rainy day fund and then put the rest on the mortgage. Just make yourself do it. No, you don't, you don't tempt it to, to redraw it. Or you always redraw it. You're not tempted to use the offset. Uh, it's just an extra extra psychological hurdle to put in your own way to make sure you don't do something like that. But I have no problem. 5.74 is good. Maybe it's 6.5-7% after tax breaks on shares with dividends and capital gains. The average of the market is 9 or 10-ish, maybe 9 are you going backwards slowly versus that? Yeah, kind of, to some degree. Over time, that compound difference, by the way, can be huge. So be mindful of that. But as, as Ram said, if you do it, you'll never, you'll never regret it as long as mm. you don't use the offset and go buy a car or redraw the money or something else. Mm. Yep. How'd it go, mate? That was, a, that was, a, was that okay? Four or five bullet yeah. points reasonably yeah, quickly? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to consider. <laughs> uh, you know, you need just, I think it's the, it, like not just in this question, but in so many questions yeah. investors naturally have we we desire the optimum mm. approach and yep. who doesn't want i want to do this in the most <laughs> optimal way possible yeah um uh, but you can't ever know mm. what that is in advance you really can't so i just think perfect is the enemy of the good often when it comes to investing it's a really profound fact mm. for me at least that some of the smartest people like measured via iq or similar yes tend to be the worst investors. Oh, a million percent. You know, and it's because they have that, they are, I mean, they're smart, but there's no mm -hmm. question about it. They'll run yep. circles around me in, 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 <laughs> in IQ, which is not hard to do, by the way. Right. But 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 they but they they usually have an arrogance associated yeah. with that. They've been so good at solving so many problems, <laughs> their capacity to solve problems that they can yeah. solve the market. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the greatest example of all time is long-term capital management. So just Google <laughs> that. Look, read the Wikipedia article on it. Oh, LTCM. Yeah. They, they had they had Nobel laureates mm -hmm. amongst their investment board. They had mathematical models that they developed themselves. Just you know everything going for them, and it blew up spectacularly. Hundred um, percent. And 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 I'm just when it comes to, I mean, there's a spectrum here as well. There are those that are just getting on with life, got a bit of excess mm -hmm. savings, and just want to put it, do something sensible with it. Mm. There are others like you or me who just like really love it and go right down the rabbit hole and you know, <laughs> yeah, spend, spend exactly. a lot of time yep. doing it. But either I don't, wherever you are sort of on the spectrum, mm -hmm. I think there's a huge amount to be said for the KISS principle. I mean, keep yeah. it simple, stupid. It is- Did you call me? Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, it, 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 it is some, yeah. doing 
Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to um, grasp for the manga quote, but it's not about doing the remarkable. It's about mm-hmm. doing the ordinary yeah. consistently. Help me out with the quote because I'm. I'm I, I can't. I'm, I'm trying to Google what you're talking. I, I think it's basically you said something like we, just, we haven't done anything spectacular. We just haven't done any dumb things or something. Something yeah. kind of along those lines. It was that yeah. kind of you know. We're just um, trying to do the the sensible yeah. thing at, 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 at consistently, and and that's it. It is remarkable," said Munger, "how much long term advantage people like us have gotten by trying to be consistently not stupid instead of trying that's to it. be very intelligent." That's it. That is it. That is it 100%. And I know this is, again, repeating myself, but there is, I just don't think anyone is going to look back on their deathbed. Yeah, and let's right. say you've just done some really base, just, I've spent less than what I've earned. Mm-hmm. I've tipped the rest into a passive ETF <laughs> and I've just got the hell on with the things that I'm interested yep. in in life. Yep. And you're on your deathbed and you look back and over the last 30 years, I've compounded at 8% per annum. Yep. And let's say that that's actually below the market a little bit. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Who honestly cares at that point? I guarantee you that's not not a regret. The regret, however, is the person who spent a million dollars on some FX trading course <laughs> and blew themselves up and spent, you know, huge amounts of time yes. and effort and yes. stress trying to do it because it was smarter and more sophisticated. No, I'm taking my investing mm-hmm. really hyper seriously. I was yeah, like, yeah. no. And 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 for those that for those that have, have done well out of it as well, mm-hmm. as I've often said, I think you need inherent pleasure and interest in doing it beyond mm-hmm. just the monetary because Mm -hmm. if you're going to spend 40 hours a week doing this and the end result is 2% better um, than what you may have gotten in a passive ETX, so we we know that adds up, that compounds over time. But you've also got to look at it on a work-adjusted basis. I would would heavily posit as well. You know, because because what's... Mm. You, you can make the argument the person who has done literally no work other than just sort of setting some automated process, process mm-hmm. in their, their returns are smaller numerically, <laughs> but relative right. to the effort is, is yeah. stratospherically higher as well. I so the stress and everything else that goes with that as well, not just the actual physical work, but the emotional toll of, of all that sort of stuff as well. And think too that when people examine the big determinants of wealth creation, yeah, returns mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. But what's the most dominant uh, factor? It's mm-hmm. the savings rate. So really, for a lot of people, most people, maybe all people, it, it is the you are probably better spending your time trying to generate more income mm-hmm. rather than trying to generate so-called alpha. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I I'm a, I million percent agree with you. Um, for two blokes whose businesses, or I'm an employee, you own it, but you know what I mean, whose businesses are in the business of helping people beat the market or, or trying to find market-beating investments, um, either in a community or, or by direct recommendation, the, the the simple reality, and you know what I also like, yourself self you say the hell, whatever the hell you want. Um, you're luckier than me, but I'm also incredibly lucky that I get to say these things despite the fact that it's actually bad for my employer, right? Which is, there's three things that drive your long-term returns. One is the savings rate, as Andrew said. The second is time in the market. The third, by an extraordinarily long way, is the average return of the investments you select. Because yes, if you're Buffett, you can turn extraordinary amounts into even more extraordinary amounts. But the reality is the the gain, and by the way, no one's Buffett, right? So your returns are going to be, if you're good, slightly better than the market. Most years, on average, over time, you'll do better than the market, which is great. Really good. You should try to do that if you can. That, if that, that's a, that's it, a huge accomplishment. It. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's super valuable. Like in dollars and cents, it's really, really important. Yeah. But it's not. I, I, but I can't do for my members. You can't do for your community. Can't do for other, for other members of the community. The things that can be done by starting five years earlier 
or saving 50% more. Mm-hmm. You, just, you, just, you just can't. Like, the, the math doesn't work. That, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I cannot make up for you starting five years later. Now, I can help you do as well as you can after that. I'm not saying don't try. My point is starting earlier, saving more. Those are, those are the, they, they, are, they are orders of magnitude more than getting 10.3 instead of 9.2%. Invest, it, it just, yep. they just are right so and look I, you know if I, if I was if I was in charge of my marketing department and we were a little less um, honest and, and whatever than we are I'd say no it's all about the returns all you know I, I can solve your problems I can fix it and I, I'll do my best I'll get you better returns hopefully than you would have got otherwise that's that's worth something hopefully and if you like it you'll you'll you know join the Motley Fool or you'll subscribe to, to Strawman absolutely but I can't save the money for you and I can't get you started earlier so do those mm. things if you, if you absolutely have the choice do those things yep yep well said I reckon that's a pretty good place to finish, Matt. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to think how many we average uh, questions we average in a in a bit over. We got an hour. through five questions today. Five. Okay. It's, it's says something. Good. Says something. Or maybe I ought to say we're very thorough in our answers, <laughs> or or maybe long winded in our answers. But well, no, five, that's okay. five questions, uh, three preambles, fourteen tangents, a couple of <laughs> couple of repeating segues. ourselves. The occasional <laughs> by definition, it depends. Bit of, bit of a rant, bit of a rant in there, yeah. <laughs> bit of a rant. Yeah. <laughs> we just start with property. It was probably always inevitable, wasn't it? Really. Oh man, Don't, you know, you know, not to get me started, right? <laughs> and yet I do it anyway because it's just fun. Oh gosh, mate. Uh, thank you for for doing a special surprise mailbag uh, for our listeners. We're going to be back with another mailbag on two mailbags. Is is is, is more mailbag ever enough, mate? That's that's my question. Well, I mean, we, when when you get so many good questions, you've just got to do it, right? So, it'll nice. it'll be market driven, as as is uh, aligned with with um, our ideology. There you go. We're all about market efficiencies. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We will be back next Sunday or this Sunday, sorry, with another mailbag, and then next Friday with a more regular Motley Fool Money edition. But until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.